All right. Open up your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter chapter two. Two Sundays ago, we had a uh, sermon, and the title of that sermon was, It's Not About Me, You Were Here, Right? And, and we asked that question two Sundays ago, Why are we here? Why are we here? Right? What's the purpose? Why, why are we here this morning? Why are we here on this planet? And, and, and we really examined... You know, in, in, in our series on transformation, that one of the core things we need to really be clear on biblically is why we're here. Why are we here, right? And, and, and this morning, why are you here? Right? And there's a lot of reasons for that. And, and two weeks ago, we looked at this core verses, these core verses that really, I think, for many, for myself and for many, was, was, was challenging in a good way, probably in the best way possible. Because when you understand biblically what your purpose is, so much of what we do practically makes sense. Because when you don't know your purpose and you're not real clear, then, then the things we do for the Lord or the things we do in church sometimes can really be, feel disconnected. Really almost start to feel like busy work. Right? And, and, and sometimes it's really good just to come back and go, why are we doing this again? Why are we doing this again? Right? And so look at First Peter 2.9 says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Is that amen? That's an amen, right? You're like, woohoo, yeah, keep bringing it, Lord. Keep telling me more about me, right? And the challenge we saw two weeks ago is that if we're not careful in Christianity, it becomes about us. Remember, church is about what I'm going to get. Is it a good sermon? Is it good music? It's, we can become what I call getters instead of givers. Right? So we celebrate who we are in Christ. That's a great list. Right? But if we're not careful in our Christianity, we start to feel like, all right, Lord, just keep telling me more and more. Oh, really? Ah, yeah. Come on, Lord. Keep bringing it. And we forget that it's not about us. Right? Because there's that key word, right? The next word, a people belonging to God, comma. What was that key word? That. That was a term, a word of purpose. It explains the why. So he tells us all these really cool things, all these wonderful, blessed things about who we are in Christ. That, everyone say that, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, all of those incredible truths are true, but we're not just supposed to hoard it. We're not just supposed to keep eating spiritual truth like Thanksgiving. To the place where I'm like, I don't need to go to church. I'm still full from last Sunday. Right? Sometimes in Christianity, we get like that. Give me more. Give me more. Which is great. But this verse reminds us there's a that. Everyone say that. That. We may declare his praises. It's not about us. Our, our, our walk with Jesus and everything he pours into us, everything he's giving us for life and godliness, the Holy Spirit, it's a that. That we may declare his praises, right, in, our, in the totality of our life, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, right, at uh, Vaughn's after this, at Cafe Emporium, that our lives would declare who he is. Amen? That word declare is advertise. You're walking billboard. Mm-hmm. Right? 
They're walking billboards. He pours into us. He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. The third person of the Trinity indwells us. Not just so we can be comfy cozy, right? Us 50 and that's nifty, right? It's not just so we can be a holy huddle. It's that we go out and we declare his praise. And that's really kind of the core of of what we're doing this morning. Now, now that declaration, that advertising takes a lot of shapes and forms. At the core, it's just how you live your life. Amen. Your life should be a declaration. But then God may call some of us to different aspects of declaration. And that's what that's what the heart of is today. So so my prayer for us and I'm excited and I'm enthused for for the church as a whole, but all the way down to the individual level that God would speak to us. Lord, what does it mean for me personally to declare your praise? There's a generic sense, a general sense. Yes, my life. But maybe today God will speak to some in this room about this thing we call missions in a very tangible, practical way here or around the world. And what is it? That we may declare his praise. Amen? All right, come on. That's what we should do. We should be declaring God's praises as we think about missions because I'm thinking that each of us has a perspective on the word missions, right? Some have a different idea of what missions look like compared to others, perhaps. But what has the mission field looked like for the last couple thousand years? Because, you know, the first missionaries, we, and we're going to meet a missionary family in a little bit. And, and, and they're going to talk to us about what the mission field looks like from their perspective and even the call. But what was the first call? We're studying Acts on Wednesday nights, and really the first call for missions had nothing to do with this. It wasn't written yet. But God not only declared, but made provision. And then, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights in Acts, scattered the first missionaries. And I'm wondering if God scattered those first missionaries, because remember what happened? It was Stephen who was martyred. And the first missionaries were scattered about to share the gospel. And I'm thinking it was because they were scared. They were scared. And so they scattered because in some ways they might even, Pastor, they might even have thought that it was about them. Because they were huddled. The church was exploding. And yet then God allowed certain things to happen. And they scattered. And the gospel then was spread. Very interesting. Because we think about it in terms of Matthew 28. I I believe it's on the bulletin today. Isn't that what we put on the bulletin? Matthew 28 on a paraphrased basis says, Now go and, and make disciples of all nations. Didn't Jesus tell us to do that? That's interesting. So in those first mission opportunities, it was because God did the scattering. And then people had to start making some decisions about how they were going to respond to what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And so in the first century, it happened a particular way. And then for about 17 or 18 centuries after that, the church was trying to figure out, how do we send missionaries anyway? How does that happen? 
And, I, and there was a lot of ways that it was done. The church began to send people out to answer the call. And frankly, some of it wasn't very good. The church was trying to find its way in sending missionaries out. In fact, in recent history, we see that it's become very popular for churches not even to send missionaries, although that does happen. We have a whole parachurch consideration now. So parachurch organizations have been formed and missionaries join as they're called to go out into the world and share the gospel. That's one way to do it. There's nothing wrong with parachurch organizations. Although, one could argue the methodology that is used, right? Mark and I have this this conversation from time to time as we're both mission-minded and we always think about, boy, is there a right way to do that? Or a wrong way to do that? The only wrong way to do it is not to do it. That's the only wrong way to do it. And so this morning as we think about missions, I, I want to... I want to introduce you to somebody. Now, before I introduce you, I want to I want to tell you just a little story. Now, um, when this church was planted about seven years ago, uh, it was planted and uh, there were there were two elders and a pastor. Now there's two pastors and an elder. Um, but the the but the one elder was absent for like the first three years because he was in Africa and he was in Mexico and he was in Alaska and. Uh, and by the way, one of the things that he did in Alaska, he went to Alaska. I'm talking about myself, by the way, because not that it's about me, but I'm just sharing with you this story by virtue of the introduction of, of this family that you're about to meet. And so when I was in Africa and we were building a, a hospital with Samaritan's Purse, I met this guy who lived in a place called Soldatna, Alaska, which I had never heard of and didn't know where it was. And he was a pilot. So right away, my antennae whoom, went right up and I knew I was going to like him. And so we started talking. The next thing you know, he says, boy, you're, you're a pilot. He said, you ought to you ought to look into these guys that are they're in Saldotna, Alaska. It's a it's a small parachurch organization. They have airplanes. You like airplanes? Yes, I like airplanes. And so they said, you ought to get connected. So I so when I got back from Africa, I called and I called the guy that was in charge. And he says, well, why don't you come up and see what we're doing? So I said. Sounds like a good idea. So I went up and 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 here's what I found. What I found in Soldatna, Alaska, was a missionary organization that didn't have missionaries that were tent makers. You know what a tent maker is? A missionary that goes out into the field and actually integrates themselves into the community by working in the community and whatnot and have relations in the community and and they become missionaries just like us outside these doors. But this organization was one I, like I had never seen before because the entire organization was a tent maker. And it was really cool. I went to the airport. I flew into the airport and this entity called Missionary Aviation Repair Center had been in existence for about 50 years. About 50 years and they had been because in Alaska, if you're a missionary, you've got to have an airplane because there's no roads, which is kind of cool. But what I found was I found an organization that was a tent maker organization, you see, because at the airport, 
this organization called Missionary Aviation Repair Center had missionaries that flew airplanes to share the gospel throughout Bush, Alaska, but they were also the fuel supplier at the airport for when people flew in. They also have a parts department at the airport that the missionaries staff, and they also train pilots that want to learn how to fly from the secular community as missionaries, and it pays the way for this organization. Very cool, because the truth be known, I've always struggled with missionaries that go out on the field where they could be working, but they don't. Because, just a personal opinion, I like the integration of missionaries into the community. But I found an organization in MARC that did both of those things. The missionaries are integrated into the community through the organization. So it's not like a sending organization where, where missionaries join and then they're sent off into the hinterland. They are integrated into the community. And then, of course, we're going to see in a minute what they do with that integration into the Alaskan community. So with that, I'd like to introduce you to the front row. Okay, so Mike and Kayla Betcher, Mike Betcher and his wife, Kayla, and Noah, brand new, (laughs) seven months old, and our oldest, Alyssa, is nine, Titus is eight, Eli is seven. Wait a minute, Eli, Titus, Alyssa, Noah, how come you guys didn't get biblical names? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's a parental thing. It's a parental thing. Uh, <clears throat> this is a family, of course, that I met at MARC when I first flew into Alaska to 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 work there. Uh, and so I flew for, what, three summers? And one of the first pilots I got to fly with was Mike. And it really, I'm still pretty upset with him because he's so much better pilot than I am. Uh, and look how young he is. Uh, but you don't have to be old to be good, right? You can just be a good pilot and be young. Um, and, and so, um, do you, do you guys want to have the kids come up? Could, could you sit up here so that you can talk into microphones so that we can, so that we can hear you? I told them earlier today that we'd like to have them speak into microphones because we always have about three or four million hits on our website after church on, do you guys listen to the service sometimes on the website? It's recorded and Richie, Richie's messages are there. It's good, huh? Okay. Three or four million hits is, is fine. Now, don't be afraid. You got to put that right up close. It's like talking into, it's like wearing a headset mic. Okay, you know how to do it. So, so I thought I would just start by asking a couple of questions because these are real live missionaries. Look at, you can touch them and feel them. And these are people, I don't know, I don't know how it happened, but we're about to find out. I don't know how it happened that they became missionaries. So where are you from anyway? I was born and raised in southeastern Minnesota on a small dairy farm, my Grandparents are still there. My aunts and uncles, mostly for the most part, are still there. Your Small what? community. Your, your grandparents, aunts and uncles, mostly. Your a- a- aunts. Aunts. Aunt Sulta, aunt. Okay, I got it. All right. Aunt. Okay. Okay. So you can speak English too. I could. Okay, yeah. good. All right, that's good. And you must be from there too. I, I am also from Minnesota. I, I spent uh, a number of years. Uh, Perfect. So I was about age nine. In South America, my parents were missionaries, uh, church planners in Bolivia and Argentina. So I was an MK to all about, or missionary kid. 
till about age nine, and then we moved back to the U.S. and then graduated high school in Minnesota, and then went to Bible school in Minnesota. Your dad was an M.K. <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> he was an M.K. What's an M.K.? Missionary kid. <laughs> you guys must be M.K.s too. So you're just like him. Okay. So you were an M.K. I was. So so then you were an M.K., but you weren't. No. But then you met somehow. Mm-hmm. Bible school. You went to Bible school and met? Mm-hmm. And then what happened between... Well, marriage. I'm assuming that happened. <laughs> happen. Probably because we don't know. <laughs> okay. So you got married. Mm. And then and then what? Ah, uh, we were still in school when we got married. So it took a couple years um to kinda work through school, I guess, and finish that off. I guess you, Mike knew mm. from the beginning that he wanted to do missionary aviation. So that was kind of our goal even from the very start of our relationship. So he was finishing off Bible school to get his, they call it intercultural studies, but pretty much a missions major. And at the same time, trying to make enough money to get some flight training because that's not cheap. Okay, so so he had it in, in his DNA. Sort of. Okay, sort of. And you decided that because of this MK-ness that you were going to go into the mission field. So it was kind of... You you were kind of firm about that. Well, that's a yes or no answer. How, how long a story do you want? <laughs> I, I was firm about it. Yes. You, you're pretty firm about it. Okay. So so the next question then is why Alaska? I mean, as opposed to like Botswana or something. I thought I was going back to South America because I knew Spanish, knew the culture, mm. um, knew mission organizations. Um, it just made sense, right? But the Lord had other plans for us, and he sent us to Alaska. So the Lord sent you to Alaska. So so I guess you must have been listening. It took a few times, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so you're not as good a listener as I was just alluding to then? Well, I mean, it just made sense to go to South America. Okay. Why, why would we do something that didn't make sense? See, porque usted habla español. So poquito. Okay. So, so you end up in Alaska because you were listening to uh, the Lord on the third time. It took three times. Yeah. Three times. Okay. So at the third time you listen to the Lord, you you end up in Alaska, and so, and so now Alaska is a really big place, and I know a little bit about Alaska. Thank you, Mike, for teaching me a lot about Alaska. So Alaska is a big state. Pretty large. How many villages, roughly? Roughly 230 villages. 230 villages, and the average size of a village out in the in the tundra is about population size. Villages can range from about 20 to a hub village of about 500, with most of them being probably in the 100 to 250 range. And most of them have a dirt, gravel, gravel runway. Runway is, is what we're used to. And yes. MARC is the is frankly the, the the largest missionary. There's other missionary organizations in Alaska that have airplanes, but MARC is is like the biggest. So they've been they've been blessed. We have been yes. Okay. All right. And so what then? What is the biggest challenge that you've encountered in on the mission field in Alaska? As far as our family or in, as ministry goes? or What is the biggest challenge that you've been, <laughs> that you've encountered? There's a lot of spiritual darkness in the villages. I mean, there's physical darkness, and you guys have probably heard Bill talk about it before, but um, Satan really has a stronghold on a lot of the villages. Um, 
there's not a lot of good Christian influence in the villages, not a lot of pastors. Um, few churches and not even the churches that are there are all filled. Um, and it's just a tough, tough place to minister. A lot of spiritual attack going on when pastors and missionaries show up and, and want to help spread the gospel. So probably the toughest thing is um, seeing that battle where you know pastors and missionaries will move in to do ministry. We'll fly them out and get them set up. And in a few years we see them flying back to the lower 48 or, or, or that sort of thing and seeing just the constant struggle in the villages for, uh, you know, there's strongholds of alcoholism and abuse and stuff and seeing those things just perpetuate themselves and just trying to see that cycle broken. If based on that, uh, it's, it's amazing because Alaska reminds me a lot of Ojai. It is an incredibly spiritually dark place. Uh, very difficult because Satan really has a foothold there. And missionaries in Alaska, you might think, oh, that's kind of cushy. But I don't know, I've never experienced 60 below zero trying to start an airplane. But uh, uh, but missionaries don't last long in Alaska. It's a tough place to be out in the, in the bush. And it is dark. What is the biggest, from, from your perspective, what's the biggest need in the in the native population in in Alaska, if you could try to close that down into something. That well, I mean, you know, the gospel, of course, but um, I think for the gospel to take hold in somebody's life, and for them to make that transformation, and then to be able to stand firm in that transportation when all the peer pressure, you know, when you live in these small villages, they're they're very isolated. Most of the time, the only way in or out is by airplane or by boat on the river. But you're also related to half the village. And then, you know, everybody knows everybody. So if you decide you're going to make a change and live for the Lord and quit drinking and, and smoking pot, using drugs, beating your kids, beating your wife, well, then all of a sudden you're the, you're the thumb that sticks out, you know, and then all of a sudden everybody wants to pound that thumb back down. So that's really hard, I guess. And. I don't have an answer as far as, you know, obviously the gospel needs to continue to go forth, but the, those that make a decision and want to make that change, that that change would stick, I guess, would be the biggest thing. How, how is it, as missionaries in Alaska, raising a family, adopting, um, and I mean, the Lord has you there. How can we pray for, this isn't for you, how can we pray for you uh, as a church? How can we pray for you? Um, I guess for me as a wife, with having a pilot for a husband, they're gone quite a bit. Um, and um, I guess that there is, the longer we're there, I'm realizing there's more of a community that I can tap into. But when we first moved there, it was hard not to feel alone. We had uprooted from family. I knew no one. Mike would take off for a week, sometimes two weeks, and I'd be home alone. And so um, I'm not a huge extrovert, so to, like, go out and meet other women and realizing that that was also a gift from the Lord that I could totally relate. There's a lot of slope workers, they call them there, which is, like, oil rig. The guys go away for two weeks and come back for two weeks. There's a ton of women that feel super lonely there. Loneliness is huge in Alaska. There's just communities that are isolated, and even in Saldatna is on the road system. But loneliness is still huge. It's a battle that um, a lot of other moms with young kids face. So 
um, to connect on that level um, is something you can pray for us for. You can always pray for safety and wisdom for the pilots as they're out. Um, you can pray for boldness mm-hmm. for us. We are, as he's saying, we are exactly like you. <laughs> um, I guess before we became officially missionaries, um, I kind of felt that way when you know missionaries would come to our church and think, oh, their kids must be different or their kids must be you know, as I was a kid sitting in the pew next to the other kids, but we were the same and had the same struggles. So um, you can pray for our marriage, pray that we stay strong, pray that we um, invest in our children and don't take them as an oversight as we, it's really easy to overcommit when you are in missions or a pastor or something involved in a church. It's super easy to overcommit and forget that the front line for me as a mom, especially is to invest in my children right now, our children. So, Tyler? Come, please. Mark, come, come. we're going to pray for you right now. Mark, would you just lay hands on this missionary couple that have they've dedicated their lives. They've listened to the call of the Lord on their lives there in Alaska. I've been there. I spent three summers in Alaska. It's not easy. It's not easy. And um, and I appreciate your comments, Kayla, about the about the isolation and listening to the to the women that are up there, especially with missionary pilots. That it is the most dangerous place in the world to fly an airplane. Trust me, I know. It is. There are more fatalities of pilots in Alaska than anywhere else in the world. The weather systems in Alaska are extreme. Safety is paramount, and. Uh, this dear lady lives with that every day as the gospel is going forward. To a desperate people in the United States is where they live. They're desperate. Would you pray for Ah, Lord, thank you. Thank you for Mike and Kayla. Uh, thank you for the call that you've put on their lives. Thank you for their um, obedience. Thank you for even taking three times Lord, for them to to hear and obey. Thank you for your persistence. Um, Lord, we do pray for all the things that Kayla shared about, um, for Mike's safety and his uh, work up there uh, in flying and going in and out of the uh, villages all through rural Alaska, and we pray for Kayla and for her kids, Lord, that you would really just give her uh, a, a, the ability and the, the choice, Lord, to reach out to other moms who are, are feeling the same way that she is and befriend them and even be a witness herself for, for you uh, among the other families up there and moms. And we do pray for their marriage. We pray for the health and depth of their love for each other and their love for you. And for their kids, Lord, that you would just um, give them resilience and strength in living in, in a difficult circumstance, Lord, from day to day. So we just pray your blessing on them as a family and on their work in, in, uh, in sharing and preaching your gospel, Lord, in Alaska. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Listen, uh, uh, after, after church, uh, um, I, I think they eat donuts. I'm not sure. We have, se- definitely do. <laughs> we have seal. Uh, we have special seal oil that we're gonna. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they, they have a table and there's some really interesting things. Uh, get to know this family. Let's pray for this family. Let's pray for the gospel to go forward in Alaska, a very spiritually dark place. 
um, and, uh, and, and just continue to get to know them just a little bit. They have some prayer cards. I, I love them. They're refrigerator cards, and, and I like to call it propaganda. Um, but it's, it's on a table. They have some interest, interesting stuff in there. So at the church, if you want to just, just kind of get together with them and, and get to know them a little bit. So the interrogation's over then? The interrogation's over. <laughs> I told him I was going to interview him. Yeah, we can clap. That's good. That's good. How's my time? This is impossible. 45 minutes. This is going to be like a three-week series, I'm, I'm sure. Um, you know, we have a, uh, this church has a mission, a, a strategy, and a budget. We have a mission for missions, and some of you may not know that, but Seven years ago, we started praying for this church relative to missions. And I'm a missions guy. And, uh, and, and we were praying. I don't know what. It took three times. Um, we were praying uh, to, so that we, we, is this a missional church, Lord? What are we going to do? And we, we were praying and praying and praying. And then he brought Mark and Kathy Bodycomb. Now, I want to share something about Mark and, body ca- Mark and Kathy Bodycomb. Sound like a mouthful, body go. Um, uh, because if you don't know Mark, you, you need to get to know him, too, because uh, you've only been here a short time, like a year. Uh, but uh, it, my own personal testimony, here's the, literally the 60-second version for missions, is this. And, and this. <clears throat> because at Community Church almost 20 years ago, this man said, hey, Bill, we're building a house in Mexico. Let's go. Uh, and not a house. Uh, uh, we're going to an orphanage in Mexico. Let's go. And I said, nope, no interest. Nada. Thank you very much. And um, and so he said, OK. And then the second time he said, Bill, you might want to reconsider. We're going down and we're going to wash the lice out of children's hair in the orphanage. And we're going to love on them and take them some clean clothes and maybe even paint some stuff. And I said, nope, not interested, not a no thank you. And the, the third time, Mark said, Bill, I'm not asking you. I'm telling you, you're going. So I went and I met this girl who, <clears throat> at five years old, taught me the words to the worship songs that I had been playing on the drums, but I hadn't been paying any attention to the lyrics of those songs. And for two days, I painted orange on the orphanage outside walls while this little girl at five years old who could speak three languages shared the gospel with me. And I was done. I was just done. And at that point, I said, Lord, do whatever you want to do with me. Because he used him to force me to go because I was scared to death and stubborn and didn't want to go. And then he used her and said, this is why you got to go. This is why you got to go. And so um, all these years later, what we have now in this church, so that you know, is we now have an operating budget for missions. We have we, we for the first time, we even have an operating budget as a church. And so. Um, and so we not only have a budget, but we have a budget for missions. And we and we didn't put much money in there, but the but the Lord led us to put. We have six thousand dollars that are unallocated for missions in this in this church. It's a start to self-sacrificially give because there's people like this, and there's people in Alaska that are desperate for the gospel, desperate to have a relationship with Jesus because they're in their their eternal destiny is 
it lays in the balance. We can't get comfortable with that. And we're not as a church. This church is becoming missional. It's becoming missional. And, and that, takes, that takes a couple of things. It takes self-sacrifice. It takes people that are willing to pray. It takes people that are willing to give. And it takes people that are willing to go. And maybe it's people that, maybe you've got to do all three, maybe just one of those. It's all good, isn't it? Because Jesus told us to go and make disciples. And we can do that. We can do it outside the door here. We can do it in remote village Alaska where the suicide rate in some of the villages is 25% of the kids before they even make it out of, out of school. We can, and, and, and the drug and alcohol addiction in the, in the villages is 80 to 100%. And the abuse of children and women is 100%. See, that's the reality, guys, that we have to deal with. This is called missions, right? And it's awesome that we have the opportunity and the privilege to be called to missions. So that's what we have to do. We have to be missional right where we're at. Mark? Well, as long as we're... um pointing fingers and blaming people <laughs> for things here. Really kind of how I got um, started in this um, wasn't that little girl, but it was one just like her uh, down in Mexico. And, and for me, it was this guy right here, Richie. <laughs> and so Richie was the youth pastor at OVCC, and I was uh, just helping out because my kids were that age in the high school um, program. And he decided to take a group of youth down to Mexico on a youth um, mission trip, and I volunteered to go down as a just to help, and because that was really all I was doing was to go down to help. And it is not missions was not something that ever appealed to me. It was just nothing that I grew up familiar with. I really had no natural interest in it at all, but. Uh, my experience, um, like Bill's, was in, in going down to Mexico and just, you know, I, I remember um, very distinctly this. I was on my knees washing this uh, little girl's hair and washing lice in this bucket and soap, and she's bent over, and I'm just washing her hair, and it was time for us to go. And Richie was trying to gather the youth up and saying that we had to leave, and it... Uh, it it just it, it broke my heart. It tore at something so deep in me that I did I couldn't I didn't want to go. I had to, but I didn't want to. I felt like just you guys go, just leave me here. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll come home. Maybe I won't. Just come back at me someday. But I'm staying here because I want to serve and love this little girl and. The next one and the next one, too. There was a long line of kids who were not going to get their hair washed because we had to go. But, um, so, it really, I don't know how or why, but at that point, the Lord just got something deep in my heart that has um, driven me ever since. Um, why I have continued to do what I do is really for two things. One is that short-term missions, wherever you do it, long-term missions, we're talking about short-term trips and that kind of stuff. They matter. They really make a difference and they matter. So that is one reason why I continue to do what I do because it matters. It makes a difference in kids' and adults' lives by doing what we do. And the second thing is to expose other people to 
the experience that I had. And I have no control over what the Lord does in someone else's heart, but that's his business. But I can at least provide an opportunity for others to come along and have that same experience and let the Lord do what he'll do in, uh, in your heart. But I want to just now kind of turn a corner like Bill said when Kathy and I uh, moved back to Ojai. Uh, actually, we moved back a couple of years ago. But when we, you know, kind of uh, placed our roots here with Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship and um, we've been doing mission work uh, like Bill was talking about uh, back in Ojai days before we moved back to D.C. for a while. We were leading trips down to Mexico. When we moved to Virginia, we lived there about eight years had an opportunity to get involved with the church that we were there with and an organization that is in the Baltimore area and doing work down in Haiti um, and started doing a couple of trips with uh, Christians from that area down to Haiti. So when I got back um, and the Lord, you know, put it on our hearts to um, participate and commit here at Christian Fellowship, to me, I just needed to continue to express that um, that part of God's call on my life to lead those trips. And so I really want to talk about Haiti and I want to talk about Mexico and what Christian Fellowship with the budget that Bill has talked about and with the people who, in, who are sitting here who have already been on some of those trips that we as a church are committed to continuing in an ongoing basis. So that's really what we're talking about. This church is committed to an ongoing work of short-term missions in Mexico and Haiti, and I just want to talk, give you kind of nuts and bolts about that. So, um, okay, Eileen. Um, so, Haiti. Um, what we do as a church right now, Christian Fellowship, is we're partnering with uh, two different organizations, Beyond All Boundaries, which is a nonprofit organization in the Baltimore area, the gal Audrey Boudreau, who runs that organization, she and her husband and their respective families have been ministering in Haiti for well over 50 years, um, very conversant with the country, the culture, the language, and all that kind of stuff. And then the Orchard Church was the church Kathy and I attended in Virginia and got us going to Haiti. They, have a, they are a very missional church and have a very deep commitment to this work in Haiti. A smaller congregation than we are here even but deeply committed um, financially and people going from that church. So we are partnering with those two organizations. We're doing two trips a year uh, going down to Haiti. We have one in July. We have one in December. In July, it's typically um, an 8- to 10-day trip. It's a blended team. We have people from Ojai going, not even just Christian Fellowship. We've had people from the Baptist Church. And I have been presenting over the last couple of months to the um, – Ojai Ministerial Association and talking to all the churches in the Ojai Valley about participating in these opportunities. So we have people from Ojai going, we have people from the Orchard Church going, a few other churches in the greater Washington, D.C. area, and then obviously beyond all boundaries. So it's really a blended team of Christians from a variety of places coming down, typically a team of 15 to 20 people going in July. Um, we run a VBS program for 600 or more kids, a medical clinic for seven to 800 children and adults. We distribute food and uh, clothing. And uh, two or three years ago, we started facilitating, not running, but facilitating a soccer league among the, the, uh, the Haitian youth down there. Um, going in July, just honestly, it is long, hard, hot days. Uh, it's just a lot of work and um, but that's what we're there to do. We are there to minister and to pour our lives into working with our Haitian brothers and sisters into their community. But 
it's, it's a lot of work. It's hot and it's long days, days and nights. Um, going down uh, the mission cost, which is the medication that we take and VVS supplies and everything that we need as a team of 15 or 20 people to have a successful trip in July is at least $8,000 that we need to raise and um, have at our disposal to buy all the materials that we need and things that we need to for that team to be successful for that 10-day trip that we're down there. And participant cost is typically about $750 plus airfare, um, and uh, that covers all your expenses in getting there, being there, food, transportation, everything, in-country, and, and that kind of thing. So that gives you some sense of what it would be um, like to actually go down in July. So I want to just go real quickly through some pictures, Eileen. Um, this is uh, actually from a couple of summers ago. This was a team from both um, Christian Fellowship and the Baptist Church. You can see Susan in there, and you might know some of the other folks from Ojai. I'm down in the middle. Um, this is our team, and the bus in the back is how we get around uh, Haiti when we're down there. It's a 1982 Bluebird bus. Okay, highly. Um, this is just a sample of one of the VBS uh, programs that we run. The gal in the front facing them is the pastor's wife from the orchard, and she kind of leads the VBS program. But we've got probably 150 to 175 kids here in one room about half the size of this church running a VBS program. To her left is a translator. So, Riley, um, this is just praise in the same uh, room. These are a couple of gals, Priska and Ernice, two sisters, Haitian young women who love the Lord or have beautiful voices and help lead worship and have fun with the kids while we're in the program. Riley? Um, this is just one of the projects that we do with kids. We do a lot of things. Marianne will come down who leads the program with a theme for the whole uh, days that we're working with these kids and some biblical theme. And they've got projects and coloring and crafts and they participate in, you know, action stories and things like that about conveying the gospel to all these kids. Riley? Okay, so this is, we have time during the day for the kids to uh, play outside. This was just all the kids. We brought down this big uh, kind of parachute, you know, material, and the kids are outdoors uh, playing. But you can see also everything there is, Haiti, by the way, is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Um, very poor area, um, but they're outside playing, Riley. Um this is uh, just a picture of one of the medical clinics. Um, this was early in the morning as they're getting organized and giving people numbers and getting all the uh, people organized to come into the medical clinic. Next. Uh, there's Susan, who has went down two years ago. Um, in the foreground is Chris Snell, one of the young men that we've gotten to know really well down there. He worked as her translator, and they're working with a woman who had come in for medical assistance. Um, this was actually, there's Susan and Chris Nell again. This is out in a much more rural area in Haiti. The entire medical clinic is being run outside under some pretty torn and tattered tarps. It's just a picture of two of the teams that are kind of participating in this soccer league. And we took down all the uniforms and the equipment for them. And they just love getting out and playing soccer. And we enjoy cheering them on. Um, this is why we go down just to worship the Lord, that these young kids are learning about Jesus, not just from us, but we are simply augmenting what they participate in and going to a Christian school and just um, trying to feed them with the Word of God. 
Um, and this is the other reason we go down, and Richie was talking about this earlier, that it's a relationship. It is investing in Haiti, investing in Mexico, and building relationships, and coming alongside and partnering with Haitian brothers and sisters or Hispanic and Mexican brothers and sisters in doing the work of the gospel. So, okay. So, real quickly, we do a second trip in December. It's typically a six- to seven-day trip. Again, a blended team, typically smaller. Bill came on this trip last December with us, and there were, I guess, six of us, I think, a few from Virginia, and Kathy and I and Bill went down from here. We work with a group of uh, Haitian teens in December doing dramatic presentations of parables, the Christmas story, and we uh, work with the kids, and they really run the whole thing, and we travel to different schools and churches, and they put on this dramatic presentation, and then they we bring down the materials, but they do distribution of very modest Christmas gifts to about 500 kids at the different places that we go. It's not so hot in, in, uh, in December. Actually, it was just beautiful, and we were down there um, kind of in the mid to high 80s, less tiring days. The mission cost for this trip is about $6,000 to buy all of the materials that we need for the dramatic presentations and for the Christmas gifts, that 500 Christmas gifts that we're distributing out to kids. And participant cost is typically about $550 plus airfare to get down to Haiti. So, Okay, Island. So again, some quick pictures. This is our team from just this last December. Bill's in the back right by Kathy, and these are all the Haitian teens that we work with and travel with and kind of live with these kids for four or five days, and it's really, really a ton of fun. So um, this is the kids. There's three girls up in the upper right hand. They're the narrators for one of the parables that we were doing, and this is a rural church out in rural Haiti, and these are kids who go to the school that's both in that church. That's both the church and the school for the kids during the week. Okay, Eileen. Um, this, is, uh, this was actually the Good Samaritan, so this, the... Uh, the um, guy who had been beaten up by the robbers is down on the floor there, and this is, uh, I think, the, the Levite who was coming by and looking at him and walked on by. So they're performing the Good Samaritan parable there. Um, this is actually the Samaritan coming along and helping the man who had been beaten up and stuff. So again, they're performing out this uh, parable. Um, this is the uh, one of the churches, well, it's a ch- both a church and a school that we go to in rural um, Haiti, the building is just a tin roof, and it's um, bamboo stalks that make up the uh, the uh, walls. Okay, Eileen. This is inside that building. All of these kids go to school here. This is both the church and the school. Um, this is at one of the other buildings. Uh, these kids all go to a school that is sponsored by the church that we partner with down there, primarily Maranatha School, and these kids are watching the dramatic presentation going on inside the church. They're kind of mesmerized by just watching this go on. And this is these are kids who are learning and hearing the gospel. So, okay, Eileen, sorry. Um, this was as we were giving out uh, the gifts, the backpacks that we take down, the 500 that we distribute, so that we, in the older kids, um, we had these pairs of sunglasses. And it's kind of like what you guys are talking about. Kids are kids, you know. And so these kids just were oh my gosh, sunglasses, and they were putting them on and hamming it up, and Kathy's there in the middle, and they just all wanted to get their picture taken as a group and that kind of stuff. So we have a lot of fun while we're down there too. So um, This was nighttime work. We're making peanut butter sandwiches for the next day, just a sample of we're working kind of, we go out and work during the day in the communities, and at night we're doing a lot of prep work for the next day's ministry. 
Quickly, Mexico, uh, we partner with Youth with a Mission that is uh, headquartered in San Diego. They do work down in Baja, both Ensenada and Tijuana. Um, we did one trip back in August, and Lord willing, we're planning one to two trips per year in partnering again with other churches in the Ojai Valley. It's typically a four-day trip, Thursday through Sunday, team of 15 to 20 people that we need to go down and build a house. We're going down in a four-day period building a house for a family in Mexico. Um, they're long, hard-working days. It's a lot of work. Those of you who went down with us in August know that. There's jobs for everybody who wants to go. Every, there's nothing. You don't need to know anything to be able to go down. We have work that everybody can participate in. Mission cost is about $10,000, which is really just to buy the materials to build the house. And participant cost is typically about $375 for that four-day period. Okay, Eileen. So just some quick, uh, this is a team project. This is in Tijuana, our project back in uh, August. When we get there, the pad of cement is already laid, and it's a fast-paced group effort in getting walls built and throwing them up and all this kind of stuff. You'll see in the background that little tarped area. That was the um, outhouse for the family that was living on this property before we came to build this house. Okay, Eileen. Um, this is just putting up a couple of walls. It's fast, fast, fast paced. This thing is just happening with, you know, somebody's kind of driving. This guy's the one driving the crew. Go, guys, go, guys, go, guys, getting walls built up. Okay. Um, there he is, in fact, helping build the wall up. It wasn't going up fast enough, so he gets in there and helps get that thing up there himself. So, okay, Eileen. Um, here's uh, Tulatan was painting. We have tons of painting that needs to happen down there. Everybody can paint. So there's work for everybody. You can see kind of we're just working on uh, this was the dirt driveway that kind of came down to where the house was being built. Eileen. Um, there we are again, both the Larson and the Latanwa painting the outside of the house. Um, this was the family over on the left. On the right, you see this little trailer shell. That was where they were living before we built this house for them. Uh, the family and four kids, and they just had another baby, we're living in that little camper shell before we built this house for them. That is some of the tangible difference that we are making, you make, when you go down and help a family in Mexico down there. Um, this is the dedication ceremony that we had. It was a very emotional time for the family and being given this house and the keys to the house and praying for them and just blessing them in the name of Jesus with this house for them. They're a neat Christian family. They're holding Bible studies in that house now and there's, they're preaching the gospel to their neighbors. They are really an evangelistic family. This is uh, the four kids inside the house in uh, one of the bedrooms where bunk beds were for the kids and gifts that our team had brought down and gone to the store and helped buy for the kids and stuff. And so, um, last thing is uh, there's some flyers out in uh, the fellowship hall about our summer trip this summer, July 11th to 19th. Um, it really is something that if you are interested at all in going, let me know. Um, we actually, I'm going to be buying my plane tickets in the upcoming weeks. Plane fares just kind of keep going up over time. So if you have any interest in this July, that 8 to 10 day, long, hard, hot working days down in Haiti, um, let me know and uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. So thank you.
We're going to go ahead and, and prepare for communion. And uh, I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot. And here, here's my encouragement to all of us as we kind of wrap, wrap it up and, and, and say, okay, Lord. You ever think about this? If you're a believer this morning, okay, however you got here this morning, if you're a believer, you realize it's because of a missionary? Yeah, there was a missionary. If you're a believer, you're here because of a missionary. And, and let, me, let me help you with that. From Philippians 2, it says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. How many of you have ever thought that Jesus was a missionary? See, sometimes we, we, in our flesh, go, man, I could never go to Alaska. I could never go to Haiti. I could never go to Mexico. Ooh, that's a big stretch. When was the last time you thought of the stretch for Jesus? To leave heaven... And to come to this planet and take on our form. Sometimes we forget the gap for God to take on human flesh. That's a huge jump. I think far greater than us going anywhere on this planet was Jesus coming to this planet as a missionary with a specific mission. What? To seek and save the lost, to give his life a ransom for many. And so you are here. I am here. Our names are written in heaven. Why? Because of a missionary named Jesus who obeyed his father's call and will to take on a completely different form so that we could get it. See, why did he have to take on the human flesh? So we could get it. It was for our benefit. He came full of grace and truth. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So the, what is the missionary mindset? Wherever he sends you, if you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. And how I speak and how I live and what I teach you, I just want you to see Jesus. I just want you to meet the author of the book. And so as we take communion, right, and as you seek the Lord, remember, you're here. We get this privilege because Jesus was the missionary who set aside everything he had. Because he loved us. It was just out of love and grace. And you responded and you're here. And all he's asking us to do is the same thing. Hold it like this. Hold it like this. And I know and you know there's no greater privilege and joy to be used by God. For eternity's sake. When Jesus says about giving the cup of water, that's not cliche. That's, not, that's huge. And we get the privilege to do that. We get the privilege to do that. So let's take communion this morning in remembrance of what Jesus did and all that he laid aside for us. For us. Lord Jesus, thank you. We've heard a lot about missions We've heard a lot about making a difference, and, and I just was struck by these verses as, as I was sitting there this morning. 
You made yourself nothing. You took the very nature of a servant. You were made in human likeness. You humbled yourself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. What an incredible example of sacrifice. Self-sacrificial love for those of us this morning who call ourselves Christians. And so Jesus, we will take this communion in remembrance of you and Lord asking you in this time of reflection and prayer to speak to our hearts. Sometimes, Lord, inadvertently it just becomes about us and our comfort and what we tell you we will and won't do, what we can and can't do, when truth be known, we're just simply to lay our lives before you as living sacrifices. Nevertheless, not our will, but your will be done. Whether that's right outside the street, whether that's at a cafe emporium in an hour, whether it's going around the world, we just want your will to be done. We just want to be right in the center of your will, God. So we yield. We trust. And we use this time now of communion to remember you, Jesus, your sacrifice. And Lord, to allow you to speak to us about this thing we call Christians. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to distribute the cups. There'll be two cups. And once everyone's been served, we'll take communion together.